1: welcome back to the podcast my name is Robert I'm Trey (laughs) and we're the three black men uh two for now but three ultimately um and (laughs) we have a special guest an honored guest I am excited about this Trey who do we got at the table
0: for sure today we got Kate Boyd who is a renowned, I'm speaking that in the atmosphere right now, speaker, uh, Bible teacher, writer, author now, author of the now available and untidy faith. Um, And I'm so excited. We're going to get into talking about this book. But beyond all that, Kate, you are also a friend um, who, much like many of the people over the pandemic. Found new friends in online spaces, whatever we encountered each other in the Twitter sphere. Um, you honored me with uh the request, uh, the 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 joy of writing the forward for your new book. And so we are forever linked, whether you like it or not, whatever your yeah. name, <laughs> my, my name gonna be in my words right there. Um, and, and so I'm excited about that. Welcome to Three Black Men, Kate.
2: Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Um, I, you know, listen to the show and um and part of the patreon so i'm just really excited to be at the table with you guys
0: yeah this is exciting and um like i said we we spoke a little bit off air we're going to try to make this as weird as possible just just because and so no i'm joking (laughs) so (laughs) buckle in (laughs) uh, absolutely (laughs) go ahead rob you got the first question Uh
1: Yeah, I think the first question that I would ask is, okay, so we're talking about your book on Tidy Faith. Shout out to Trey, who, you know, makes an appearance at the top of the book. (laughs) Um, I am curious, uh, thinking about deconstructing our faith and and making a faith that is meaningful, I guess I want to ask, when you look at current events, our political atmosphere, Things in the nation as they are. What do you think about when you think about what your faith means to you now? Like how do you perceive what's going on in America right now?
2: Oh, that's a big question. Um, I I have I want a, to go to a
1: big overview. Yeah, there we go. Right? We're going real big.
2: <laughs> I I have um a lot of mixed feelings about America. I think there are a lot of um big promises and big ideals um, in America that I do think could potentially reflect some of, you know, the gospel or Jesus leanings. However, I think in a lot of ways, and especially at the current moment, whether it's dialogue or political infighting or whatever that is, I think we are, and even policies, I think we are not living into those ideals, not letting America keep those promises. And I think there are um and I even owe that um sort of framing, I think it to propaganda because he has a like a shirt or maybe a lyric. I don't know. I'm I'm sorry, I'm not music I'm not a musical person. So you'll have to forgive me for not knowing exactly where that comes from. We forgive <laughs> you. But um but it really is like so I think there are in the big frame of things, I think there are, you know, and even, and I guess I'll even say that even with that framing, I feel like it was probably limited right in its application at the time. Um, And I think we have still continued to limit that application though we've come so far. And so I think when we look at that climate and we look at how Christians can or should be responding in light of all of that, I think there are segments of Christianity in America that are doing really great things and who are working towards that. But I think the overarching narrative, at least um, right now in America, is that the church is not doing that super great. And that's and that's hard for a person who wants to be a part of that difference and that change. Um and seeking a coalition of people to do that with knowing that it would be impossible for me on my own um but that the people that I would have normally or previously um identified with as far as that segment of Christianity that's very notable um yeah it's really hard to like watch it and recognize the dissonance and then not really feel like you can do much to to combat that
0: yeah most definitely. Definitely. Reading your book and hearing that story, I'm wondering how much of this, as you put it, your complicated um, view of the United States um, led to your your need for this book? Because a lot of the book is situated with your experiences outside of the United States, right? Um, could you speak on? If that and maybe I'm imagining that, but how much of the this complicated role um and view that you have of the United States and the current state of the church here um led you to the what is now an untidy faith, that this book that we have available to us?
2: Yeah, it's kind of hard to know whether it's like a chicken or an egg kind of thing. I think there is a sense of there were some ways in which on a say a political front that my husband and I already sort of differed from the larger, like the segment of of evangelical Christianity with which we were associated. Um, And, and then to sort of like, and so that was part of it. And then even thinking like, there's sort of the line, you know, well, we don't want the government to take care of poor people. That's the church's job. And I'm like, yeah, sure, I'm with you, but we're not. So like, what do we do now? (laughs) Like, if we're not doing it, and we think that's our job, then what, like, where, what are we even doing? And so that sort of like, I think, A, realizing that there are places in the world where Christians do take care of the poor and the marginalized and the hurt and the, like, and, you know, those who need healing or support, like there are, whether that's economically or physically or any of these other ways, like that did sort of like, when you come back, you kind of realize the dissonance more strongly. And there's like this hollowness that you then sort of like feel in the message that just sort of like it, it, maybe it shouldn't have caught me off guard, but it really like put it in perspective in a way Mm. that I hadn't seen it before um and so i hope that not everyone has to go to the other side of the world to get that but um yeah i think that's sort of what put it into like glaring perspective and then made me go like okay so how then in the operating system of america do we then figure out like how we can support what that looks like or how can I do that personally? Sure. I think individually, that is an important contribution. I think about where our money goes and what we do with it. Um, but on the same token, if, if we don't have the infrastructure to take care of that, but there is something that has the infrastructure, then it seems like supporting that is a good thing. And so there were lots of ways in which those things sort of like butted up against each other. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I would say that we were sort of on our way that direction, but certainly yeah. going overseas made things much more obvious from that perspective and the idea that like it could happen um, on a personal level or in a like corporate church level and that we weren't doing it and that in some way was also sort of like a big sort of rupture in, in that in my thinking too. And so they're just sort of, there were a lot of things, but I think what really kicked off all of that was shifting from a more individual to a communal faith because of those experiences Mm -hmm. and then understanding what that means for how I live, whether it's, you know, in the compartment of church or in the compartment as a citizen and how those things overlap, you know?
1: Yeah, I love that personally like i one thing i enjoyed about your book is how much credit you gave to to the global body of believers and your deconstruction process how much you were willing to humble yourself and learn from others you know overseas and i think you even said your passport i think you said something to the effect of it was like an academic advisor um and you're a learning process, and I loved it. <laughs> so um I'm just curious, like, could you give us one or two of those stories of moving from like an individual faith to a communal faith? Because I feel like that is really resonant. Mm.
2: So I think there are a couple of things. So one, as far as like compassion and care. Um, there's a story I tell in the book from South Asia, where, um, there was this little old man who everyone at the church eventually called grandpa, but, um, you know, he, his family wasn't able to take care of him. He was essentially dying from whatever disease or ailment he had and his family couldn't take care of him. So they sort of set him up by himself by the river so that he could pass peacefully there. And, um, and then someone from the church found him, And then they carried him up, which, and this is like not easy because it's like a church on the top of the mountain. And so they like carried him up to the church building and they took up, you know, an offering to buy him medicine and they bought him medicine and they cared for him. He now lives in that little thatched roof church building. And like, it was just sort of the sweetest thing because when we were interviewing him, we were like, what does this church mean to you? You know, because of all this. And he said, um, this church is everything to me and like i just realized that in that in this way that i don't even though i'm was a very and am still a very churchy person i didn't think that i could identify the church as something like that for me or even having experiences in yeah, which it. <laughs> even in which like so there was a time when my husband had lost his job and i was just working part time cuz i was coaching cheerleading and um I ended up like having to get a job, like having to get an, even then a part-time job, which at least like paid our bills, didn't put food on our table, but paid our bills until we got some things, you know, and everybody like prayed for us. Um, but nobody offered to help us. And that might be on me too. Cause I didn't ask. Right. But also, and I think in that way, there is sort of this, like, it was also very American of us to like, not ask for that, but it sort of felt like it, it should have been offered in some of those circumstances. Um, and it wouldn't have been much. It would have been like, we were already living <laughs> very, very basic, like a couple hundred of dollars a month would have made a huge difference for us at that time. And so, you know, then witnessing this story and being like, oh, they didn't even ask. He wasn't even a part of their church. It wasn't their responsibility in any way, but they took care of him anyway. And, And not in a sense of like, well, now he's a Christian and everything is great. Like they, they weren't even doing that in order like to be transactional that way, which I think a lot of times some of our care, um, can be. And so that was just one of those things that was very, um, opening to me. And then I think sort of the other, from the other side, this idea of like community leadership, um, and because there were so many churches in which, you know, there were either very few believers in the area and, you know, having to come together and figure out what that means together and having to lead each other as they work through the Bible and faith and contextualizing all of that in their community, um, just sort of like flipped how I think about how, like, church works and how people work together and um how faith is formed in real time with you know with the people in your community and so that's so I mean I could probably tell a million stories along all of those lines but those are some that sort of stand out as like more formative in in the whole thing
0: most definitely I love the stories that you bring in because a lot of times I think you're right in that um, our experience particularly here in the United States with church and and, and how we do community is very different than a lot of people um, around the world who do not experience the same level of honestly opulence and luxury that we sometimes take for granted at at times Um, and yeah, I, I like the, the passport as, as the academic advisor and all of that stuff, um, as it re- relates to this whole idea of deconstruction, which is a term that you don't actually use too often in the book. You got your own term for that, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and we call it disentangling. Yeah. Um, how much of that was like- the term, Hallelujah. Yeah, <laughs> the term disentangling in and of itself, um, how much of that was- a, a conscious decision to to not use the same language and like how much of that was was you actually describing like, well, I might actually be doing something a little bit different here, if that makes any sense.
2: Yeah, I mean it's a little bit of both. I think in the sense of um so it really sort of came from once upon a time. So actually I'll rewind. When I was quote unquote deconstructing, like because of these experiences, I um I didn't, there wasn't vocabulary for this 10 years ago. We didn't talk about it. Like you just sort of like did it, you know, on your own and you're like, you know, you're just sort of like working through and then you'd like bring things up and people are like, oh, you know, and you're like, okay, so this isn't a great place to talk about it. But then even as the discourse like grew over the last five, six, seven years or whatever, I just sort of started to notice that like, um, like most things, the extremes were the ones who were speaking about it. So it was either the people who, you know, deconverted and were talking about how deconstruction was the best thing they ever did because now there's nothing out, like all this other stuff, or it's the leaders who are like, deconstruction is bad, questions are bad, doubt is bad, just trust me, right? And so there was like, I was like, honestly, neither of these things feel like what I did. And part of that is because mine- began in a very different way from a lot of people's I think which was sort of spurred on by a lot of this like political and social change that we've been experiencing or at least talking about the last few years whereas mine started with good experience with the church just not good experience with the church in America and so it started with a different lens on it which made me go okay so how do we how do I separate these Um, And so I originally called it untangling, but, you know, I needed good alliteration. So I I went with disentangling eventually, but I realized that like that sort of it, A, was a conscious choice in order to like redirect the conversation into something about a sort of positive view of deconstruction that even could be um, approachable to people who are trying to understand what it is, but are not maybe who are skeptical of where it leads, Um, but also to give vocabulary to people who were going through some of the same things I was and saying like, what I see in the Bible or what I see in Jesus or what I see in different contexts is is good and is just and is holy and that that's what I want to focus on. Um, But the context that I'm in doesn't have that. So how do I reconcile this and how do I disentangle those two things so that I can then, you know, work to be a version of the good, just, and holy that I I aspire to be because of my relationship to Christ. And so it was, um, yeah, a little bit of both in that arena.
0: I hear you. I got this on oh Rob. i'm sorry oh no go ahead you go ahead first all right yeah i got this little saying that sometimes you gotta leave your churches to find god right Mm. and makes Mm. some people upset but one of the things i love about this book and thinking about the way you walk through this is the subtitle of the book is journeying back to the joy of following jesus and through this process of deconstruction or disentangling as you put it um you are pretty clear that your your goal here is is that you're still a very Christ centered person like you you still you still identify as a Christian and a Jesus follower but that you have found joy outside of your own like your historical tradition or the tradition that you came up in and and rediscovered the joy of religion there can you um or not religion in general but Christianity in specific um just so I'm making sure i'm being clear here but sure. um could could you give us a couple words on what that's been like for you like not just Uh, finding another way, but finding joy outside of that tradition that you came up with.
2: Yeah. Um, And it's hard because it's easy. It feels easy now to say that it's joyful, but a lot of the process to getting to joy was not joyful, right? It's, Mm. I talk a lot about um, nowadays when people are talking about deconstruction or disentangling that it's really like an extended grieving period because there's a lot of like trying to figure out where you are and and you're realizing those dissonances and then you're, you know, processing them, which brings you all those emotions from angry to sad to, you know, denying and moving through all of that. And so joy is sort of on the other side, even as you continue to walk through those really hard parts of the process. Um, And so, yeah, it's sort of been I think the main thing that has sort of helped me has been as I've been reframing, like how I look at God and how I look at the Bible through a lens that prioritizes um, God's character and God's priorities, then I'm like, okay, I what I'm actually discovering is that um, my tradition sort of told me that all these like horrible things are happening. Um, And that's because God is good, right? But actually like what I inherently think of as good is probably more like God than like trying to frame bad things in good terms, right? Or like, because God is just, this is necessary because God is whatever, this is the thing that's happening. Or maybe it's like, maybe God is really grieved by that too because God is good, right? Like maybe- that's not God's vision for the world because God is good. And I can even see that that's not something that we would be happy with, you know? Um, yes. and so how then do you sort of like reframe? And then once you kind of get the idea that maybe God is actually good and you don't have to make excuses for God and the things that you attribute to him, um, And then you sort of reframe your vision for where the world is going and you reframe the priorities of God as more holistic because that's what the Bible shows them to be in a lot of cases, then you actually find that God was better than you thought. And that's a really joyful thing to experience whenever you're like, hey, you know what? Like, This is actually something good and exciting and and wonderful that I can aspire to be and be a part of um because of all these good things that we sort of inherently know are good and so it's actually sort of like been maybe a deconditioning of myself to think of God as actually good instead of God as good in terms of the bad things that we have to excuse
1: well you better preach this (laughs) text Kate boy you better preach it um you recently preached it a It'll pull it, too. Saw that. I did. Um, I
0: was like, you better go, friend. Before Sam, Rob, and myself were podcast co-hosts, we were friends. This podcast grew out of a friendship. And honestly, it's grown into something more of a podcast. It's now a community. You can take part in that community at patreon.com slash three black men, all the way spelled out. And in that community, you'll get early access to episodes, bonus content like writings, videos, even some live conversations that you can take part in. In the event that you'd like to support us but aren't ready to commit to Patreon yet, you can submit a one-time gift via PayPal, where you'll find us at three blackmenpodcast at gmail.com. However, you choose to support, we're thankful that you did. Let's get back to the show.
1: We are back. Well, one I would say Um, I want to insert here that all season we've been talking about liberation and thinking about what it means in society and church. And having this conversation is beautiful because fleshing out what it means to have a faith after toxic um, churches, after maybe bumps in the road with um, American Christianity is like really important. But the question I wanted to ask both of y'all is what do you think is missing from the deconstruction conversations? Y'all kind of hit parts of it, but like what, what other things do you think are missing
0: in this whole um, conversation? You want me to go first?
2: Yeah, go for it. All
0: right, okay, I got you. I think one of the things that we miss in deconstruction is that there are other ways of viewing and approaching and sometimes even worshiping God that have nothing to do with the American way, the Western way, the white way that is often centered in conversations around deconstruction, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of times what we end up taking apart and questioning and critiquing are all of the things that are shared, particularly in white evangelical spaces. Um, That has not been the way that everybody else experiences God and experiences church and experiences community. And so a lot of times people who are coming out of those spaces and deconstructing those spaces assume a a, a, a universality that is not necessarily there. Um, And it can be disheartening because I think there is a lot of room for dialogue and discourse on things that are harmful, but we can't have them uh, because, we can't always have them because there are people who assume that their experience is universal in a way that it really is not.
1: Yeah, mm. I wanna I wanna insert this here too, since you brought it up, Trey. I think the I think even deconstruction TM has been it's been relegated to white people talking about leaving the faith or the ways that they've been harmed, which is okay if that's the conversation we're having. Yeah. Uh the universality is a problem because as Kate is saying her experience and coming to disentangling her faith. That is quite different. The things that have caused me to question God. And for me, I would say what is also missing, um, deconstructing, disentangling is a lifelong process, not just a one-time thing. And Mm -hmm. I think we do a disservice to people when we talk about it as this one major event, Um, in the same way that salvation is an ongoing thing that I experience Um, I am constantly deconstructing things that I I thought yesterday Um, so yeah the universality I like what you said Trey Um, we're not we are not coming to the same place at the same time and that's okay what you think
2: I would think that I I um, still think that deconstruction in a lot of ways we are still treating as an intellectual exercise um yeah. and that's and to be fair I'll even own that my early deconstructive time was highly intellectual like an intellectual process and part of that is because that's how I process things and that's how like I'm a very head-centered person but I think even so in the way that we talk about issues or we or we're still like focus on what we believe and policing beliefs and then talking about specific actions, but we don't always move that into an active place or um beyond that intellectualization. And so I think there is a place for that um and but I think we can't let it stay there and we can't let it only be about, again, like disentangling belief. I think we have to bring praxis. Um, and becoming right into those conversations too. And if we don't, we're missing a big segment of not just like the conversation, but of who we're supposed to become as you know humans and as followers of Jesus. And I think that's, um, but I think again, because of the way our tradition had prioritized belief and believing everything the exact right way, that's then what we think the paradigm is for deconstruction too. And I think that is definitely a part of it or can be a part of it. But I think a a lot of people stop there and then just kind of like get angry and yell about beliefs all the time. Right. Instead of like, which is still the same pattern. It's the same sort of like fundamentalist pattern that they had before. They're just in a different place rather than like moving it into a different, in a different part of even their
1: own being.
0: Turn this part up. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Turn the volume up
1: on that, Kate Boyd. Yes, and I think what's hard is because we're not starting at the same place, focusing on beliefs is so strange because the abuse survivor, whether it's spiritual, physical, sexual, is not coming to mostly look at beliefs. Doctrine is not the, the biggest thing that they're wrestling with which when leaders, to your point earlier, are trying to police the deconstruction process, I'm not worried about what the Council of Nicaea said at that point, right? Like I have some... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, like we are coming to this place and maybe our bo- maybe our spirits are wanting to obey God, but our bodies are saying something else and there's trauma involved. in, and, mm-hmm. and maybe there's not trauma involved, but you're like which things are true. I do. I, I think what's missing too, is like some people really like yourself, I do want to follow God. I just don't know how to harmonize certain things that I've been experiencing, which that's a totally different experience. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. one of the things that um, I appreciate you bringing that, that up um, and us having this discussion about beliefs versus experiences. And you shared the story of uh, the the gentleman who was found and and then brought to the church where they took up a collection, got him medicine and, and nursed him back to healing and everything. Because um, when I hear the phrase, the joy of following Jesus, it's not a whole lot, like it doesn't invoke an image of doctrinal fidelity right like the joy of following jesus comes from learning and believing the right things when jesus was um not only a teacher but but an experience in himself you got to witness people's lives being turned around and um i I wonder sometimes how much of your experience in in how much of what drew you back into this joy was going to all of these places where, yes, they share the scriptures and and they um, learn how to how to exegete them more properly. But more than that, these places were forced to do community together in a way that we don't necessarily value the same in in our individualistic societies. Right. Because the truth of the matter, my theory is that the power in religion is not so much in the doctrine in in as much as it is the stories that we share and how those stories move us. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things I found so powerful about your book was the stories that you share. Um, And it invites us into these communities oriented around Jesus where doctrine is still a thing but it's not the only thing or the main thing it's it's the stories and the communities that are formed around these stories and how they point us towards jesus and i I know that one of my favorite parts of the book always sticks out to me is the um the nuggets you bring up about i am the bread of life not making sense in a certain context right yeah because at the end of the day this story of jesus has to make sense where you are and even if we need to change language to the point where the bread of life becomes the sweet potato of life in that context the truth remains the same even if the the language oh father forgive me The, I'm sorry about that. The truth remains <laughs> the same, even if the language needs to be adjusted. And I think there's so much for us to explore in what disentangling or deconstruction can look like with regards to truth being what it is, even if it sounds different, you know? Mm. Yeah. I, I think um, I get excited when I, I look at treatments of Christian community through this context of, Decentering our own experiences and inviting other people like okay your your journey back to the joy of following jesus seems like a journey towards the margins if, if that's making sense and not the margins in the global sense but from our context what we censor does, does that sound accurate to to your experience there like trips to? yeah
2: i mean i would say more and more that seems to be the case i don't know that i would have said that about early disentangling me. Um, because again, I was, my approach was very intellectual and trying to like reconcile my belief with my experience and figuring all that out. But it did sort of like a open up then, you know, allowing the experiences of others and even myself to inform theology, which might include, um, you know, more marginalized people rather than, or like being willing, right, to listen to people outside of like the quote unquote experts um, in in my tradition or that are typically held up by my tradition. But then I would say like, as you sort of like dig in and you again, realize like just how great this Jesus guy is that you read about um, in the Bible, it sort of becomes hard not, it, at least for me, it became hard not to move that direction towards the margins because it seems very clearly that that's where Jesus did move rather than moving toward the centers of power in order to do a top-down thing. Like that's just, doesn't seem to be the, um, you know, the story of Jesus. And so I think there is a sense of like moving outside to either meet people there or even to lend or create agency for them or healing for them. Um, you know, and without again requiring, like he would always heal and exercise before he ever talked. And he never like, m- you know, about the good news and the gospel, but he never made that a requirement for hanging out. Right. Like, I'm gonna tell you this story and then I'll heal you and only the serious people will do this. Right. That like that wasn't an exercise that Jesus ever did. And so rather it was giving people the opportunity to be a part of the community and healing them for the sake of making them whole, like making, bringing a deeper sense of wholeness or part of wholeness. Um, I don't want to imply that they're not whole people like, but language around this is, is, is hard to communicate. So I appreciate, um, any grace you guys understand (laughs) in my heart there, but I think there is a sense of when you look at Jesus, it is hard and, and if you decide that you want to follow Jesus because that's what this is about, then it is hard not to go that direction because um, that is literally where we're told that he goes and the people that he chooses to dignify and interact with and elevate and, um, and to try to do that some other way. Um, and even the early church didn't do it that direction, right? Like even the early tradition that's recorded didn't look like that. And so it's when we start flipping that, that we, that we, we tend to mess it up a little bit more, I think. And so, yeah, I would say that's definitely a part of it, but that has been probably a longer journey than like looking back and like, oh man, why didn't you get there sooner?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I have one. Last thing to kind of leave us on is um, earlier in the conversation you said, you, in, in that story uh, that you're referencing, uh, the church is everything to me. And I've really been sitting with that phrase since uh, you shared it and thinking about for how many people that has not been true yeah, and for how many people they have wanted the church to come around them in ways that are tangible and thinking about we we are in the midst of coming to a different phase of the covid-19 pandemic we are seeing so many scandals you know hit the church waves mm-hmm. and i just kind of want to leave some imagining and want to have you speak into what can the church be right because I think a lot of deconstruction talk is about what it isn't and that is a valid thing that we actually do need to name in many spaces I also want to name what can the church be you know um and that's a beautiful picture that you gave us in that story so thoughts I mean both of y'all can share uh, you you if full time ministry uh brother Trey so what can the church be to people Yeah
0: that's a dope question and it's one of those questions where like the opportunities are, I mean, the the, the, the possibilities are, are kind of limitless in that way. I think one of the things that hampers the church nowadays is um, a shackled imagination in which we are assuming that the only things that will carry us into the future are the traditions that have brought us to the present. And I don't say that to denigrate tradition at all. I say that to say, that, um, this is supposed to be something where we take and build precept upon precept, right? And, and that our imaginations have also been saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost and that will fire anyhow. And so when we talk about what, what can the church be, the church first and foremost ought to be a safe place. Um, that, that, that's a baseline and anytime it comes to our attention that we have failed in that regard we need to go back do some reexamination and find out where we can improve on that right there's no reason that the church should not be a refuge for people in the most marginalized communities among us there's no reason that the church should not be prioritizing the concerns and the experience of the disabled community or the black community or the native community or the LGBTQ plus community or whatever community and folding that into a place where their voices can too be heard. That's not me riding the cultural current or anything. That is me following the example of Jesus who goes to the people on the margins and prioritizes their experiences in the good news, right? Um, And so when we think of church as a place of of just programming and everything, which to be clear, I do believe that churches have a responsibility to provide opportunities for discipleship um and whatever evangelism, not just in the way of finding Converse, but in sharing good news right bring, bringing good news of safety and salvation to people um churches do have a responsibility to do that but they also have a responsibility to examine their cultures in the same energy that we put in exegeting texts uh, we have to be able to exegete the culture and determine okay who is who has been left out of safety um and and how do we construct the safe places that would bring good news to everybody, right?
2: Um yeah, I love this question too because it's something I like can't help but think about constantly. Um and I'm at a place in my life where I'm yeah, sort of beyond like I just I don't want to fight against anymore. I want to build something better, like cre- like work towards creating things that are better or being a part of that. And so um one thing that I think has helped me frame this recently Cornell West spoke here um, where I work and he said that empathy and imagination are the keys to things. And so are the keys to connecting with people and forging, you know, connection and conversation and compassion. And so that was really helpful and um, as like a frame. And so I think that's part of it is we, the church cannot, you know, silo itself from the the world you know there's always like the church and the world like we can't have those those compartments i think there has to be a lot of an extension of being around and in the communities and with people in order you know to know what people are going through and listening i think we're not we're good at talking we're not always good at listening and i think we need to be able to um sit and I think, you know, exegete the culture as much as we do the Bible in that way. And then I think, you know, working with those people and not imagining just ourselves and our own solutions, but again, listening and imagining with people the things that will be helpful for them or the things that will contextualize for them, you know, physical or spiritual. And so I think there is a sense of, um, that there needs to be, you know, deep community in a sense of, like, there is a reliance. And I think there is a connection. But I, I also think that it is groups of people that change things. Um, And so, and there are groups of people that then are equipped to change things, because there's a diversity of gifts and perspectives in those. And so I think we need to be more intentional about, you know, inviting people to the table um, and putting the table in a place where it's accessible or we can actually like sit and listen. Um, And then coming together to imagine what does God's vision for flourishing look like in this area? And so it's hard to say what that's going to look like for this person or this person or this person or like as a whole. But I think for me, flourishing and wholeness are at the center of, of of everything, because I see that is what seems to be where God wanted the world and where God is taking the world. And so I want to figure out how I can participate in that. um, And not just for myself, but creating that for other people. And so I think that sort of empathy and imagination has been really helpful for me to then connect to like, maybe how do we actually participate in that process.
0: Flourishing in and wholeness, empathy, and imagination. I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, Miss Boyd, Kate Boyd, thank you so much for spending this time with us. Before we let you go, I do want to ask, beg, implore you to um, let everybody know where we can find and connect with you.
2: So on Twitter for as long as Twitter is a thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm at the Kate Boyd. Um, I also hang out a lot on Instagram at kateboyd.co. Um, and my website is kateboyd.co. And then you can find my book um, and Untidy Faith at all online retailers, or if you just want them easily linked up for you and untidyfaith.com has them all together. Um, and then of course my podcast, you can come hang out on the happy hang out with us on the happy and holy podcast where I talk about scripture in community with some other folks. Um, and robert was on and trey's been on so Yo. you guys have all hung out with i me was on that i podcast. was there
0: before robert was actually whoa
2: it's true okay.
0: <laughs> i just whoa <laughs> now
1: was, this is getting untidy there. whoa yeah. um, <laughs> yeah.
0: let's yeah. meet this
1: up just a little yeah
0: exactly yeah, uh, uh, <laughs> y'all touched. meet in the messy middle on this one all i know is i was there first uh, oh, okay <laughs> um, <laughs> But thank you so much for spending this time with us, Kate. Um, Thank you for for sharing this book with the world, An Untidy Face, Journeying Back to the Joy of Following Jesus. Everybody check that out pronto. We appreciate you rocking with us for another episode of Three Black Men. Here's the part of the show where we ask a favor from you. Now earlier I mentioned a couple of ways that you can support us by joining our community over at patreon.com slash three blackmen, where we have multi-tiered support options and you can get bonus content. If you don't want to do that, you can submit a one-time contribution by finding us on PayPal at threeblackmenpodcast at gmail.com. But we ain't here to tap your pockets. Here's a few ways that you can help us out without spending a single dime. You can stop what you're doing right here, right now, and make sure that you've left us a review and a rating. Don't just give us the five stars. Go ahead and write out how much you love this show and tell everybody about it. Do it on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you at. Make sure you leave that rating and a review, and that's going to help even more people join the fun over here. Thank you so much. I knew God loved you for some reason.